This is a Federal News Network podcast. The recent rise of ransomware attacks has shown that even small and medium-sized organizations have to worry. For several years, the Cyber Readiness Institute, a nonprofit led by some of the nation's industrial giants, has provided resources to help small businesses deal with cyber threats. Now the CRI has a new managing director, someone well-known from her long federal information technology and cybersecurity experience. Karen Evans joins me now. Karen, good to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. And let's begin with the Institute itself. Who is it and what does it specifically do? Well, the Cyber Readiness Institute is focused on helping small and mid-sized businesses address cybersecurity risk. And what I think is really unique and what really attracted me to this group is is that it's focused on human behavior. As we've talked in the past, you know that I'm very focused on people. And so the whole thing with this is how can you make a difference? How can you address this? How can you take scarce resources in small and mid-sized businesses and really focus on that change management cultural behavior that you need to have so that you can be cyber ready, so that you can take advantage of technology, use all what's available for your business so you can grow it, but also be aware of the risk and be able to manage it appropriately. And does that behavioral aspect also extend to employees? I mean, if you look at large federal agencies or large companies, they have a lot of training of people so that people understand a phishing attack when they see it, for the most part. Small businesses, small organizations often don't, and their employees might be less sophisticated from a cyber standpoint. So does the resources that you offer extend to that aspect of it, of how people literally behave when bad emails come in? Well, of course it does. And you would think that I gave you these questions, but I'm so excited that you asked that because CRI is focused. They have four core principles, four core areas. We call them the four core pillars, one of which is dealing with phishing. So it's passwords, phishing, USB, and then doing automated updates. And so it's focused on what we would call in the public sector cyber hygiene, but the human element of that. And so what is another thing that is really exciting that came forward is, is that they have a cyber readiness organizational program. And what we do with this is, is that you have organizations go through this, take the training and the training is free. The commitment that you have to make is your time to really understand what's going on. So it's your time. And then in May of this past year, they also did a cyber leader certification program. So if you have the opportunity to go through it, Tom, you should go through it. I've been going through it. And what it does is, is really take some of these really complex issues. And what you want to do is just really put it in plain speak, practical applications, and anyone can be a cyber leader. And that really is what the certification program shows. It's pretty exciting. It lays out three different types of organizations from a small business that only has five people to a human capital person who's running the human resource department of a business of about 100 people and really addresses that change culture the things that you need to think about and how you train your employees to be aware in these four core areas. We're speaking with Karen Evans. She's former CIO of two federal agencies and former Office of Management and Budget e-government administrator, now managing director of the Cyber Readiness Institute. And let me ask you to cross a bridge here, and I'm hoping it's not a bridge too far, but 
The Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, recently highly revised from the way it was started, nevertheless does have some burden on small businesses that are contractors or subcontractors to federal business, to federal agency procurements. Is there a way that this type of training that you offer, this type of development, can somehow be tied to CMMC declarations of readiness to be in the CMMC program and therefore keep getting contracts? I'm really glad you asked about that because the CMMC program, as you know, could be very intimidating for small and mid-sized businesses. It really trying to understand all the different aspects associated with that. So in July of this past year, CRI entered into a pilot with Cyber Ready Hawaii program to address the CMMC level one which I think most of us realized when we started really reading and looking at what DOD intended with that program, that even the evolution of that was going to lead to some type of self-certification at level one. When you look at level one, there are 17 practices associated with that. You go back to the four core pillars of the CRI program. Most of those are dealing with cyber hygiene type of practices. Again, back to, are you aware of the risk? Are you doing passwords? Are you, you know, have policies in place to deal with using removable media? You know, pretty much you don't want to use removable media, but if you have to, because you're a small business, you know, do you have compensating controls? And so CRI has been working directly with Cyber Hawaii, working on the program, leveraging what we have in our cyber readiness program with small and mid-sized businesses so that they would be prepared. It's also addressing the FAR 52.204-21 You know, a lot of this is dealing with the information and the management of information. As you know, gets a little complex when you start talking about control, but unclassified information, how are you putting those protections around it? And again, the value of CRI is breaking it down so that you don't have to be a FAR expert, but when you're ready to participate in supply chain activities with DOD people or DOD acquisitions, that you already have the business practices in place and that you can self-certify that you can protect that information appropriately. And somehow the pandemic, of course, has affected the cybersecurity scene as much as the ransomware wave has with everybody, you know, working remotely. More and more people, I guess, are going to stay remote if you follow the trends and therefore you have different endpoints, different networks in people's homes and so forth. Has the Institute kind of updated the training and updated the resources it offers to take into account this endpoint access that so many people will continue to have? I'm coming in at a good time because this is toward the end of a year. And so we're getting ready to really evaluate what are the next things that we're going to take a look at. As you are indicating, you have to make sure that the content stays up to date dealing with the situation that small and mid-sized businesses are facing, right? And so sometimes they really are the endpoint in dealing in the overall supply chain. And again, this gets back to, you know, when you look at all of these different things associated with it, a lot of it is still passwords, how you deal with passwords. And so one of the areas that we're going to be looking at going forward into the new year is multi-factor authentication and making sure that it's distilled down into a way that is not intimidating. Sometimes when, 
you know, like my husband is a small business owner. And when I talk to him about multi-factor authentication, his eyes close over. So I know that I need to, you know, really put it in practical business terms so that that business owner understands the value of why you want to do it, especially if most of their business is done online, right? That they really have to have those right business plans in place, that they're ready, that they have resilience. And I think another area that we're going to make sure we really look at is data recovery, because you hit on the ransomware issues. And one of the key areas is to make sure you have good data backup so that you are resilient, so that you have data recovery processes in place, and that they really take a look at that from a business continuity perspective. And when you bring up two-factor authentication, that reminds me of the Biden administration's executive order on cybersecurity. And I've heard some big agency and some small agency CIOs comment that, yeah, it's a great order, but it was kind of the path we were on anyhow. How does the executive order tie into what you're doing, and did it require any kind of rethinking of the efforts that you provide, or did the executive order simply underscore best practices that people should be doing in the first place? There's a lot in that question, Tom. So (laughs) with the executive order, I think the executive order was really groundbreaking from the aspect of it brought everything into one location. And the other part of it is that it really has the accountability up the line, right, all the way up to the National Security Council. So that's true. I mean, I look at the executive order and say, what? We haven't finished that yet because a lot of those things were things that were started in the Bush administration or actually goes back to some areas, like I'd say, as far as the Clinton administration. But each of those build upon each other for good cybersecurity practices. When you look at the executive order, And then you look at things such as the supply chain risk management and those type of areas. And then you look at our member companies that we have, Microsoft, MasterCard, Apple, GM. We get into supply chain risk management, which is directly aligned with what CRI is doing. And so we have some pilots with our co-chair companies dealing with supply chain risk management because in that are a lot of small and mid-sized businesses. And you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so you have to think about how do their actions affect upstream and how do their actions affect downstream. And so this really is the sweet spot for CRI, really working on those cyber hygiene, lifting up everyone to a certain level so that we can take a lot of noise out of the system and that the public sector, the federal government can focus on what it does best, which is adding that context around what's happening in the ransomware area. Is it nation state? Is it a criminal element? And we continue on with the businesses that you know need to drive local economies, what is happening geographically. And the other thing that I think is really exciting about CRI is that it's global. So when you're looking at this, we're looking at small and mid-sized businesses globally. So if we can really raise that up, we would help with the norms across the board that the administration is looking at and lead by example and that the material is already there and that businesses can use it today. Karen Evans is former CIO of two federal agencies, former Office of Management and Budget e-government administrator. She's now managing director of the Cyber Readiness Institute. As always, great speaking with you. It's great talking to you too, Tom. 
We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, 
throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to, to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is 
is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Looking to expand or move your company? Look no further than Ohio. With a talented workforce for in-demand industries like tech, healthcare, engineering, manufacturing, and more, you can staff up and scale for growth. Ohio's central location and reliable infrastructure will help you impress your customers, while Ohio's affordable cost of living and quality of life will excite your employees. Why survive somewhere else when your business can thrive in Ohio? Visit successinohio.com today.